Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. I'm Alan Cumming. I'm Christopher Sweeney. Boy, oh boy. I want to tell you about this week's guest because I'm so excited to have spoken to him. Mm. He is one of my favorite Instagram accounts. Yeah, you slightly stalked him, didn't you? And got him on the show. Was that scary? Maybe. On Instagram, he's called at Gay Therapy. Nick Fager is his name. And he is a therapist. He lives in New York. But he's from San Francisco. That's it. He does these brilliantly simple Instagram posts with just a little piece of little nugget of information that will enlighten you about the queer experience. Mm. And we sat down with him quite a while ago now, wasn't it? Yes. It's a long time ago. It's in my room at the top of my house in, in New York. Yeah. It was more than a year ago, actually. But, you know, that's the thing about gay therapy. The issues don't go away. Oh, honey. In fact, they probably have only got more intense in the last year. Just scratch the surface. But what it's hilarious is I often think this um, show is like a bit like doing a therapy session with yes. various people because we just sort of ramble on and say <laughs> stream of consciousness and often <laughs> of, you know, affecting our psyches and our bodies and our self-image and everything like that. And it was so interesting to do this <laughs> podcast with an actual therapist. Yes. Because the thing about therapists is that, you know, you, you sort of, in, when it's your therapy, you kind of, you ramble on. Mm. And it was actually funny, like, like he was, I thought, he's talking a lot. I thought, oh, he's our guest. He's not there. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, I, like there was a therapist I was listening to speak on another podcast, um, Emma Gannon's podcast, which is great. Gosh, you just, do you, have, you just must listen to podcasts all the time, do you? Well, I spend a lot of time on my own, Alan. I'm very lonely. You're so, <laughs> but you're so diligent about podcast listening. But I love them. So here I am hosting one. Who would have thought it? But they were talking to a therapist and they were saying, you know, mental health is becoming more and more of a thing that people are aware of. But in, for example, in the UK, to get mental health help on the NHS is a very long and slow process. And if you're struggling, you kind of need it now. Yeah. But it's really hard to get now. And what this therapist was saying is what happened to her so often is that people would arrive in her therapy surgery, having waited a year and a half, and she would explain really, really basic stuff about how the mind works, how your body works, why you end up with anxiety, all these things. And she was like, it's such a shame that people out there can't just be told this so they can self-regulate and learn because none of this stuff is difficult it's actually really simple so what gay therapy does is just he teaches you so you and you learn really simple things about why people behave the way they do why things that you do um, yeah. and and a lot of it is informed by being queer because it's about being an outsider in some way and how that affects you yes that was what was really interesting about this chat was sort of seeing those sort of basic tenets of queerness reflected through a sort of psychological prism mm. uh, yeah he was fascinating and a really nice guy and you know easy on the eye as well 
He is astonishingly handsome, listeners, if you haven't (laughs) looked him up yet. I mean, marry him. So without further ado, should we have a listen? I think it's an interesting thing between like hatred and phobias. Usually we call hatred with a phobia name, you know, like Islamophobia, homophobia, Mm. all those things we actually associate with just like Mm. um, Mm -hmm. people who are horrible and bigoted. But actually you can be scared of a gay person. You can actually be scared and it's not, doesn't mean you don't like them. And I think there should be two types of homophobia. People who actively have made a decision that they hate gay people. And then people who just are uncomfortable or haven't met enough or just, you know, feel just that's what their body does when, when, they're, uh, when they're impacted in that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I think underneath most hatred is, is fear. Mm. It's not wanting to feel that, that uncomfortable thing that, you know, not everything can be neatly boxed, right? And that, what does that mean for someone's worldview? And that's yeah. it's scary, yeah. right? Um, so you choose not to feel that thing by by hating the person. Right. Right? I'm just going to get, I have to spill, to made another spillage. I'm going to get a cloth. This is going to be fascinating for the listeners at home. Yeah, this is the gold. This is really... So Alan's got a Taking a bit of kitchen now. roll. Not too yeah, keep kitchen roll. Close the cupboard. How did you start... It's Gay Therapy is the name on Instagram. Gay Therapy is the name on Instagram, yeah. How did you start that? What made you decided it was an Instagram. Uh, I was um, I was in grad school at the time, and I I guess I you know I had I had realized that the queer community was what I wanted to focus on, and particularly um, the gay community was uh, where I wanted to direct my work. And um, so I was in grad school. I didn't really have much reach, or I couldn't really do much because I was still um, just in class and getting my hours and everything. So mm. um, I had one friend uh, who was a couples therapist and she had been licensed for a couple of years and she started posting on Instagram every day. And I saw how she was suddenly able to have a voice mm. um, and, you know, she recommended it to me and I just started thinking about it and then I just started posting and it took, you know, it took two years to really get any sort of momentum. Like I think those first couple of years I was really just, I maybe had, you know, 500, a thousand followers, but it was small, but it still, you know, it still felt, it's, it's actually a, a very therapeutic for me um, because oftentimes what I post about is something I'm going through as well. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, I just started and, you know, that was years ago and I've consistently posted and it's grown and it, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of taken on a life of its own now. How many followers have you got now? It's a lot. Um, in the uh, high 30s, 38, 39. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crucial to add on. Yeah. There's 39 people watching my every move. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to call it phenomenon, yeah. but you can. You do. What do you think about, and this isn't a trick question, well, you can decide. But like, what do, you, what do you think about social media and mental health? And because I know that there's so much around that. And I, I love Instagram. I think it's a really positive place where I think like anything, it can be tricky. But I, I the amount of ways to connect people, I'm really behind it. But what, you know, obviously, because you operate on there, but also you are a mental health expert. So for the most part, I would say when thinking about my clients, um, it's having a negative effect really? social media. Yeah. And it's the, um, it's sort of that gap between the projected self and the authentic self mm-hmm. that ends up providing a lot of stress for people. Um, in other words, they have, they're projecting a life of, uh, perfection, but ultimately they're dealing with a lot of anxiety, depression, whatever it is. Mm. Um, and, and sort of combining those two to feel authentic or integrated gets more and more difficult as your following grows, right? Mm. As you get more invested in your social media self, 
right? Uh, so it creates this divide that is actually really quite bad for your mental health. Mm. God. How often do you go to therapy? Every week, sometimes twice a week. Have you done therapy all your life? I've done it um, since about the age of 18, 19. And have you had the same therapist? No. How many have you had? Uh, I would say probably about six. Gosh. I've moved... Also, oh, yeah. there, some haven't been a match, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's hard to find. Now no, I, now I have somebody who I feel really great about. Um, you know what I actually did with my one now? I gave him my book, my, the book I wrote about my father. Oh, wow. I gave that to him because I thought it'll be so much quicker if you just read this book than, you know what I mean? And he did. <laughs> really? Yes. And then he said, I don't think I can take you one. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. What, what took you to therapy in the first place? It was a, a combination of things. Um, one was the, uh, my gay queer identity, um, was at odds with my life. And that was, uh, emotionally overwhelming for me. The other was PTSD, complex PTSD that I had from childhood, uh, that was really interfering with my, connection to my body and th you know those two things are very much tied together right uh -huh. there's trauma in growing up gay and queer um but so those you know those two things made it so i had overwhelming anxiety panic attacks almost constantly and i couldn't show like the way i'm showing up right now with you two um could not show up with people authentically at all and so show up show up just um be present right uh -huh. like i feel present right now with you two and i don't right. feel sort of overwhelming emotion um that wasn't <laughs> uh, so so all of that combined it, it, it uh finally i i went to a college counselor and um just asked for help i think that's the hardest thing to do is just take that first step mm -hmm. um and then it just kind of opened and you know uh anxiety really i i hardly experience anxiety today which is amazing and in general have have yeah it's come a long way but the, are you a psychiatrist or a psychologist psychotherapist so you don't give drugs i don't give drugs sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh well thanks so much it's yeah. really fascinating <laughs> thanks for having me this is the shortest <laughs> podcast we're having yeah. Yeah. where are you on the giving drugs for people for mental i think that uh, they can be great as long as they're your attitude about um taking drugs is that they're bringing you into a window of tolerance to do the work as opposed to doing the work for you, right? right? Yeah. Um, because That's when people when people come into therapy and they are on prescription drugs, it can it can actually make the work possible because they have a baseline that's not they're not overwhelmed. Yeah. Right? Um, but if you're just wanting to take an antidepressant to make everything go away, yeah. uh, it doesn't work. You can't delete any of this stuff. You have to deal with it. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> it might work in the short term, but um, long term it, it resurfaces. Therapy is amazing. Like I've had it for years. You've had it for years. You are a therapist, but I'm aware that it is a very odd thing to a lot of people. You know, one of the reasons I want to speak to you is to try and help people understand, like, what it actually does and what specific things for the LGBT community that can be addressed. Because by having therapy, I genuinely would say that's the reason I'm alive, yeah, you know? Me too. But no one articulated to me what it was prior to that. It was only because I met a friend who had a therapist that I got involved in that world. What do you think are the things that are coming up for people that could be solved by therapy? I think the thing that is unique about um, the LGBTQ community is the amount of aloneness that we experience um, growing up in particular, that you are holding so much uh, by yourself because your surroundings are not safe. Mm. That's not speaking for everybody, but I would say the vast majority of people that I see 
there was subtle or overt communication that who they were was not okay. Right. With not only their school, their surroundings, but also within their home, with their direct family. And so what that does to the psyche is it puts you in a default setting of isolation, right? If something intense is coming up, I need to deal with this by myself. I cannot trust mm. other people um, to share it with and to help me with it. And uh, so that's what I was saying about myself. The decision to actually ask for help was this monumental shift in thinking. And I think that's the hardest part for queer people is to change that default setting from I need to take care of myself to I need other people. I need help. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, working through that is really difficult. And uh, and establishing really healthy, um, intimate relationships, I think, is a really challenging thing. Again, because we had so much relational trauma growing up, right? It was really hard to trust people. And so, of course, you're going to be really defensive, uh, even in a therapy session, right? Letting somebody in. So those mm. things, are, yeah, those, there's a lot of defenses to intimacy. Yeah, I can relate to both of those. I mean, it's so funny that sorting things out on your own, like I've had to teach myself to, because I did feel I couldn't tell anyone I was gay. And actually, had I, it probably would have been okay. But that was the decision I'd made. And then you lock yourself into that decision. And I felt that I had to solve it on my own. So even now, if I were to do something, like I realised that I'm not actually recording this, like if I realised I hadn't pressed the button, <laughs> I would default go to, I need to hide that and I need to make this happen without anyone knowing. Oh, really? And now I go, no, you don't. You can uh... say to people, I'm really sorry, I've just realised I'm not recording this. Yeah. You know, and then we'd probably all laugh. And start again. And we'd feel more relaxed <laughs> the second time, yeah. Exactly. And it's yeah. like, but I, I just, that is still my instinct. But I'm so much better at spotting it. But You don't think you can solve things with other people? I don't think I should tell people about what's going on for me. Sometimes those things mm. that go wrong or that are, you're feeling bad about, actually there's a, they could, not just that they might not have happened, they might happen and be really great. The topic of shame is so... <laughs> Is so huge. Mm. I mean, that's that's a theme, a consistent theme in therapy is shame. And d- define for because people get a bit like, so what is shame? How would we? Yeah, that? it's a very it's a very sort of um, hard emotion to define. But basically, if you can think about um, if there is something in your body that some feeling or some belief that you feel like is so bad or wrong in some way that if you share it with somebody, that relationship will end. Uh, right. Um, so, and it, it could also just be the belief that there's something, there's something wrong with you. And yeah. what, uh, what happens, particularly in the queer experience is that you get so many messages, um, from so many people that there is something wrong with you growing up. Right. Mm. Um, and so, mm. uh, you start to, you believe it, right. You start to believe there is something wrong with me on a very deep level. And so when people come into therapy, so often they're just trying to figure out what's wrong with them. And so often I'm just saying to them, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. Uh, and to actually believe that on a deep level takes a long time because you receive those messages for so many years mm. growing up. Um, so to actually step into the fact that you're okay and that there's nothing inherently wrong with you, um, that's really a big part of the work. Mm. How do you get someone there? Obviously, you're not going to have three simple answers to that. But yeah, that's that is that's <laughs> the that's that's the hard part. Um, I think privileging the positive is really an important thing to do. Like when privileging feel, the positive. Yeah. So when you feel um, some positive emotion, or you're feeling okay about yourself, or like you've accomplished something, um, to actually uh, bathe your brain in that, to make neural neural connections to the positive, as opposed to always focusing on 
this is what I did wrong in this situation, or this is what's inherently wrong with me, to start to shift your focus a little bit to, to what is good within you, what is working within you, what strengths do you have? And so oftentimes as a therapist, I'm just telling people what I notice about them that is working. And it's oftentimes, they, it's very hard for them to hear in the beginning because mm-hmm. they want to jump right back to, but wait, what about this thing that's, that's yeah. bad? Right. Mm. We need to fix this thing that's bad. But if you stop giving so much attention to it, you can actually start to realize that you are, that there is nothing wrong, that uh, you are whole. You are good. You are, you, mm. there's, there's healing that needs to happen. There's a lot of healing that usually needs to happen, but there's nothing inherently wrong. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're good enough. Yeah. So the shame is this thing that is is quite. Uh, what was that amazing word you used yesterday? In when we're having noodles, it's having noodles. pervasive. No, it's sort of insidious. Yeah, quite insidious in the queer experience. Uh, and how does that manifest itself? So for me, it would have been drinking. Mm-hmm. So not liking my life, age thirteen, being like I'm gay. I'm in an all boys school. Aside from being gay, I don't even feel like I'm a boy. Like, everyone else is doing such a different version of what I think it is. And then I discovered alcohol, and I was like, ah, this all just went away for a few hours. When you were 13? Yeah, I started drinking when I was 13. Gosh. I started smoking when I was 13. Please, God, insure and go, don't be listening. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that for me is what, that was a a manifestation of my shame, is that I would just go to drink and be like, ah, freedom. And then, you know, is that a common thing and are there other things that people can yeah addiction is a big one uh, sort of all these avoidance mechanisms that we have such as um drugs or alcohol or even sex um or video games or whatever it is mm. uh, or oftentimes um perfectionism is a big one right so if i believe that this thing is so bad within me my authentic self is so bad i'm going to create a false self that is perfect i'm going to mm-hmm. devote all my energy to that false self and perfecting perfecting it so that it fits in in any situation um all to avoid this really uncomfortable feeling down below i think that's a very um that's a trope is it a trope that we defined as a trope that's a trope that i really recognize in sort of gay culture like those yeah. you know alpha gays those those remember the a-list or some tv program about yep. it's like yes i think it's dreadful mm-hmm. i really and i find actually that sort of you know gay life i think is i always think when so many people have for so long, uh, you know, I understand they want to, they want to fit in, they feel different, they feel left out. But then instead of embracing their individuality and thinking that's a good, a positive thing about me, I'm different. And that's, mm. here's what, what makes me different. And that's that everyone basically 
wears a, a uniform, a new uniform. Like they all, everyone cuts their hair the same, listen to the same music, have the same bodies. And I get it, we want to belong. But it just, to me, seems like a diminishing of your potential. And I think we're so, what's the word, swayed by these images of like power gays, super power gays, people who are, look gorgeous, have great bodies, have, are professional. And I just think that's, it's very, I wish we'd be a bit more dirty and messy, you know. I think and the sort of image of a modern successful gay man is kind of superhero almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to talk about that book, The Velvet Rage, right? Because that sort of feeds into that idea, right? The Velvet Rage's thesis is that if you have taken a hit by being gay, as in in your social circumstances, it's like you have got this big bad thing about you, you will make sure that everything else is perfect. So if I'm going to be gay, which will disappoint my mother, I'm going to make sure she knows I have the best job, the best car, the best house. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I go, and then their thing is, and then you move to San Francisco and collect antiques. So he always keeps saying that at the end of every <laughs> or, Yeah, or Arizona or Phoenix oh, or something, yes. a, sm- a smaller town. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting because I can fucking, you know, when I read it, I don't particularly like the way it's written. I think it's quite a strangely written book, but I'm, I can really relate. To which bit? That I have gone, oh, well, I'll just have a fabulous life. You know, I want to have like a nice house and nice things. But I think it was me trying to compensate for feeling bad about another part of myself. Oh, just seeking validation to compensate for shame, right? Yeah, and thinking that people will like me more. If, if mm. People will like me more if I'm funny. That was the thing I really had to get over. Like, don't always try and be funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just be yourself. And then I'm still just as funny, but it, like I'm doing it for a different reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is just that the, the you know the validation, the seeking validation and compensation for um, a feeling internally that uh, it never you never quite get that itch scratched, right? And mm. so you keep you keep climb, trying to get more and more validation um, in mm. order to compensate, but it never really feels that good, um, mm. even when you get validation. And so uh, so you end up at the end of that if you're if you're if you've built a life that's just seeking validation and perfection um you're going to end up feeling uh, hopeless and empty at the end of it because there's nothing really at the end of that road right mm. and so it it sucks but you have at some point have to stop running and turn around and actually just face what is in your body mm-hmm. um and that you know that's what he talks about in the velvet rage is heading towards authenticity um but there's kind of this big hump you have to get over to authenticity which is your trauma your shame, your rage, mm. right? It's usually all there waiting for you to deal with it. So they're three separate things. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't like a rehearsed list. But yeah, usually um, there were a lot of traumatic events that happened when you were little, not to mention just um, not being able to live authentically as yourself, uh, which leaves you with a lot of rage, anger and rage, right? Like, why couldn't I just be myself? And then on top of that, shame, the feeling that, yeah, there is something wrong. I think the idea of anger and rage is really interesting because I think that rage is sort of assigned to straight men. Like, they get angry. And if Mm -hmm. a woman shows it, it's like, well, she's just an angry bitch. It's really interesting that you don't... I I still don't know what to do with anger as myself. You know, because I don't feel like there's a a model for it. Well, you don't get angry. I have been someone who's massively controlled my anger. Mm-hmm. But you can't, you see, it goes somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. So it's pointless. So you need to work out how to. Yeah. And actually, that's why I started exercising. Any kind of rage or anger is like go for a long run or, you know, 
really good for your mental health, I think. Mm. Exercise. I get angry. Yeah. I also don't feel shame. And I think it's because, I think the only positive thing that my father gave me was the ability to see a man who was struggling with his desire mm. and struggling with how he wanted to live and like, you know, to be, being, not being monogamous and just being, being a kind of a, an animal, being a sexual animal. And how I saw him just fuck it up, but still do it, but just make so many people unhappy around him. Because of that, because he wasn't communicating or he wasn't being honest with himself. And so I feel, I feel like, no, I don't feel shame about sexuality in that way because I see it as something that is just, you have to manage and be kind about rather than try and change it because it's always going to be there. And also it's fun. You know, it's, like, it's great. Yeah. And I also, I think with you, and I don't know if I'm right about this. Well, let me be the judge. Well, more tea, Vicar. Well, exactly. More tea, yes, please. Do you have more tea in your, in your little cup? I'm sure what, what type of tea It's um, black, normal tea. Sounds great. Have you got a herby one in there? Thank you. Uh, it's yes, but it's okay. Oh, well. <laughs> a heady mix. Yes, you were talking about me, Christopher. What was yeah, that? I was just thinking about you. Um, <laughs> that I think that you are a rare but heady mix of... I don't get any shame from you at all, which I is, think is fascinating. But I also think that you are very open about where you're at, who you are. And I think, but you are, and it's like, it shouldn't be rare, but it's so mm. rare. You know, it's, it kind of mystifies me. I think that's what is incredible about you. It's like we're in a couple's therapy session. Mm. <laughs> but, um, but it is, and I, yeah, that's what it interests me. That I'm open, so open. Yeah, because, you know, Nick, when you were talking earlier about having like a, an image online and uh, an image on your social media and your an real authentic self, self and like, presented self. Yeah, like yeah. there is no, there is no difference between your no presented gap. self online and you. With me, I think you, what you see is what you get. Hmm. You know, the openness thing, I think, is I realized not dealing with things and not being open, uh, being coy about anything. And this was actually a lesson, bizarrely, I learned from the press in Britain, you know, decades ago, of very invasive tabloidy interest in my life. I realised that being coy about things invited speculation. And mm. so why not just, it's when you can, when you feel like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? I feel it's already happened in my life, I hope. And so I actually feel that since I made a decision just to, to be honest about everything, or to be open about everything, it, it has, like, 99% of the time been much more easy. Wow, and it's it's almost like a, it's that intimacy thing that you were talking about as well. Like It's like a feedback loop. Like, as soon as you start doing it, you realise how nutritious it is just to be open all the time. You're suddenly like, yeah. I actually think it's, like, the secret to life. Yeah. Like, that and purpose are the two things you need. Like, if you haven't got any purpose, I think you're always at sea and unhappy. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if you're always being, like you said, coy, yeah, or not congruent, it's the word my well, therapist always word. uses. That's a good one. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it just—it's like someone's—you've discovered a secret that no one's ever spoken about, and yeah. I think people don't talk about. It. Like, it's what we're talking about here is actually quite abstract. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's it's crazy how it's not talked about because really, at the root of so many physical maladies, disease, illness, 
it's based in emotional isolation, right, mm. and trauma. And the research is really starting to show that now. I mean, 10 years ago, it wasn't really the case, but now um, there's so much research around trauma and isolation and how bad it is for you. Emotional isolation has been shown to be as bad for you as smoking or not exercising. Well, Shit, I'm all three. So it's, it's, <laughs> so it's this is this, probably uh, my last biscuit. Supernova. <laughs> so it's this, it's this, it's this very basic knowledge. But that, can I ask a question? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Isolation and what was the other thing? Trauma. So Often you define that as stress. It becomes stress, or is stress another thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can make a general. Stress is obviously involved, but but it's not like I can say it's a separate thing. I guess what I'm what I'm primarily referring to is the is the closing off, right? right. Which isn't necessarily a no. stress, right? It's the decision that I need to take care of myself. I'm not going to share this with anybody else. I'm not going to so ask for help. Closing off away from people, which is so incredibly bad for your health. Which is what people don't realize because there's no education around that. Yeah. Would you define that as going through something but not being able to talk to anyone about it? Yeah, that you yeah. have to hold it, and that's that's really at the base of so much mental illness, anxiety, depression. It's holding something that is so big that you can't actually handle it. It's it's meant to be co-regulated. Like me and you are sitting across from each other right now. If one of us is having an emotional experience, the other person, provided that they are in touch with themselves and have the capacity, can co-regulate that feeling with you, right? Mm. So I'm connected to myself, you're connected to yourself, you're having the experience. Together, we're feeling it together, mm-hmm. right? And that's what human beings are social animals. We're meant to do that. Yes. You're, meant, you're not meant to carry things by yourself. You're meant to share them. Um, and so that's, that's, what, that's why emotional isolation is so toxic. I completely, I, I totally understand that. And then the, the, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. because you haven't, because you've closed off from it as well. So it's, it sort exactly. of magnifies it. But like the thing I said about stress is because I know there's some, obviously now we are, being aware that stress causes disease and, mm-hmm. and, and and illness of various kinds. And I sometimes, when I am being stressed out by someone, I get furious with them because I think, you're giving me cancer right now. Yeah. You know, you're practically giving me cancer. Yeah, I mean, you obviously can't speak... 100% definitively about no. this but there's usually but there's <laughs> there's an emo- <laughs> there's there's an emotional blockage that's usually related like maybe you can't get in touch with your anger or your rage yeah. and so therefore that is something that is sit- energetically sitting inside of you yeah. with no place to go and it just gets more and more energy added to it i mean you you can see a tumor forming just like that yeah. right do you get angry uh yes yes when, when do you get angry <laughs> uh what is triggering to me um i think you know being if I'm in a relationship and I feel uh, that it's not balanced in terms of energetic exchange, uh, like if I feel sort of used or if I feel taken advantage of, it's a big trigger for me and I will get extremely angry. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny you say that because it's one of the only things that makes me really angry is yeah. if I think someone's taking advantage. Well, yeah, because you're giving and then you suddenly realize that it's not what you thought was reciprocal is not reciprocal, right? And I well, think yeah, because kindness a, was so going out. Like, if you're meeting me back with something, anything other than kindness, yeah, no way, bye bye. Mm. And do you think that's? Do you think that's a? That's interesting. We all, we all three. Mm. Think that, do you think that's a queer thing, or do you think that's just a? No, I think that's. I think that's a human thing. Yeah. Mm. This um, idea of. Uh, I mean, I do think. Kind of... I do think that when being queer. Coming out of a queer childhood, you ha- there's there's no way you wouldn't have rage. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just because there has been so many unequal relationships in your life where you haven't been treated well. I mean, obviously that is changing now, but for up until very recently, it wasn't the case. Yeah, as I was going to ask you, do you think that 
it has changed at all? Like, if someone was born now, will they still have this? It just there's so many factors, you know, mm. um, class, race, everything. Like, you have to take so many things into account about where is this person growing up and are they validated in their identity? And in so many parts of this country and the world, still, it's it's pretty similar. Um, yeah. And where we live in our little bubbles, I think there is huge change happening. And I've heard stories from many people about coming out parties in high school and mm. um, and lots of gender fluidity, which is amazing, mm. uh, particularly amongst teenagers and people even younger. Um, so that it gives me a lot of hope, but it's mm. also, you know, there's a lot to be upset about still. Very insightful, I think you'll agree, chat with gay therapist Nick. Do head on over to our feed, look for part two and click play for more wisdom and delight from the man himself. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.